Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we. See you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks where you can hear the rest. Like me, you're a native New Yorker, and there's a lot of things that I kind of took for granted. Like, for example, the idea of a business improvement district or a bid. I never quite realized how nefarious uh, it can be until I uh, read your book. I've just always seen them around. I just thought they were just little offices in every neighborhood that just, you know, try to almost like a community board, but like like a private community board that just tries to fix up and beautify a neighborhood and help things out. Like, I didn't really realize what a weapon of development and renewal and social policy like consumerist social policy like they are they're they're pretty crazy they have like no real uh, accountability to much of anybody right no and they yeah i mean their purpose is to kind of push uh real estate prices up and to make uh businesses as much money as possible um you know from a business perspective gentrification is always good for two reasons one the more money that exists in a city the more money that you know corporations and business owners get but on the more nefarious side of things, the fewer poor people exist in a city, the fewer services are required to provide for them. So I think a good analogy is like how highways were built in the 1940s, like interstate highways, they would literally calculate where to put highways by saying, where are the poorest people who take the most tax revenue from the city and then ram a highway through there because that would essentially uh, force everyone in that area to leave and and go somewhere else. And I think gentrification works in the kind of the same way. It's, you know, if you look at New York now, to me, it's a completely dead city. But on the books, everything's going great because there's more money, there's more tax revenue, and there are fewer people who need things like public housing, uh, public transit, and all the rest. All of that can be privatized. um, And the cities now have less responsibility to actually provide anything for people. And meanwhile, the homeless population has basically become like a a backdrop to the landscape of the city. Like, it's just a part of it. It, People have just come I don't even know if people look at it as necessary evil. I just think people just accept it as, you know, part of what it, how it is. Like it's wow. the new normal for a lot but, of people, but- man. I feel like it, I feel like at least in New York we see less of them now. I don't know where they're putting them, but I mean they're I mean, literally buy, they're paying for them to be put in other cities as far away as like Florida and stuff. Yeah, oh, I remember I, I talked about yeah. that in the episode I did uh, on the homeless situation in Los Angeles. They were doing that. They were um, giving homeless people Greyhound tickets in in uh, Las Vegas. And they would mm-hmm. give them Greyhound tickets and ship them in mass up to downtown Los Angeles and as far north as San Francisco. 
So, you know, there's this thing where they were, and they were also doing this thing called patient dumping, where people that had mental issues that were, you know, hospitalized and, or um, what was the term? I forget what the term for it called, placed on a hold or whatever like that. They would literally just drop them off wherever homeless people congregate, whether it be Skid Row or wherever it is in Portland, wherever it is in San Francisco, they would just drop all of these, uh, these mentally ill patients off. Um, sometimes still with gowns on and everything and just oh, leave wow. them there. Yeah, it was yeah, crazy. I mean, and all, all these problems of cities that we now think are getting better are actually just being pushed around to other places. So, like, if you look at, you know, like New York will always say, oh, well, crime has gone down to historic lows. And if you believe that crime is, you know, a consequence of poverty, like I do, you know, people need to do illegal things in order to survive, then... It's not that crime has gone down. It's just been pushed to where there are poor people now. So if you look at random towns in Pennsylvania um, the t- or the town my dad grew up in, Port Jervis, New York, you know, which I've, I've been to a bunch of times. Now that's where all the same issues exist. That's where all the drug addiction is. That's um, where all yeah. the poverty Long is. Island, Long Island has a bunch of, bunch of, gang, bunch of gang warfare now. Right. So New York can say, look, we we've pushed down crime. Really, what they've done is just push it out to the suburbs and exurbs of of the city. Same thing in Los Angeles. They pushed everything out of L.A., pushed it out into Lancaster and San Bernardino County. And so, you know, while there's still crime and, you know, gang activity, it's nowhere near what it was in the 80s and 90s, you know. So and it's all going on now in in these faraway regions in the desert. You know, it's just crazy. That reminds me of that. um, There was an episode on The Wire where they pushed all the all the drug dealers to the area of Baltimore where all the vacant buildings were. Yeah. (laughs) Amsterdam. It's all a shell game, man. It's it's, yeah. it's one big shell game. So I, I wanted to ask you, because the premise of the book is, is um, or at least the, one of the subtitles that you said is How to Kill a City. Is that what it is? I had this thing happen. Um, I came to this realization that we, because I do a lot of work in my city uh, with, within our school district. And lately there's been this rash of closings that have happened with uh, some of the elementary and middle schools. And one of the things that I noticed is that when they get ready to shut these schools down, they started with um, start diverting services from those schools to other locations. Right. So they, they don't get specific services that they need to take care of, say, for example, um, their special education population of students that they have where they need services and things like that. They'll stop sending aides over there to help those students. They'll say, oh, you know, due to budget constraints, we can't send anyone there. Um, they even stop the landscaping services. They'll say, you know, due to budget constraints, we can't provide the adequate landscaping services. And so, for example, one of these schools that just got shut down, uh, Wilson Middle School, it's right. It's, it's on this really nice street, right, called Del Mar Avenue. Del Mar is really a nice stretch in, in Pasadena. And then as you're driving through, you just see this eyesore because they stopped painting the school. They stopped, uh, you know, cutting the grass. They stopped all this stuff. So it really looks like an eyesore. And then they kind of started cutting off services. So when it came time to vote, people were not as upset about it closing down because the public perception of it is that it's an eyesore and it's just, you know, there's nothing going on there. It needs to go. So I, I say all of that to say, I wonder if, you know, if something similar happens when these people um, divert resources and things like that away from cities. And because what I'm saying is 
gentrification is not voodoo. It's not magic. There, there's something very purposeful that happens where you have cities that have had, you know, like Compton, for example, or like these other cities where you have these large black and brown populations and, you know, nothing can happen there. There's no businesses. There's no revenue. There's very little of anything. And then all of a sudden gentrification happens and all of a sudden, you know, like magic resources are there. You know, so I was just, well, go ahead. I, I don't mean to run on, but. No, I mean, I th- yeah, I mean, I think that happens. Um, this uh, this um, radical famous geographer, Neil Smith, called it the, the seesaw of capital. Um, and essentially, I think that's that's what you're talking about is like yes. what where, you know, what happened is all all of the capital, all of the money was purposefully vacuumed out of cities and put into suburbs and given to white middle class families conversely uh uh mostly black families but family you know uh hispanic families uh, and other poor families were trapped in cities and and purposefully had money and mortgages and everything else withheld from them and you you keep that program going for for decades after decade and then all of a sudden all the real estate in in those cities is now cheap and you can go in vacuum it up and Re, quote unquote reinvest and kind of double your profit. Um, so so that's how gentrification works on like a, a kind of macroeconomic scale. But yeah, I mean, talking about that school thing, I think it also happens on that on that more uh, micro scale too. Like in the, in New York, you know, everyone heard about the era of the Bronx is burning, right? No one talks about why that is. It's because they purposefully closed fire stations oh, in wow, wow. strategic like strategic neighborhoods in order to force residents out of those neighborhoods so that they would stop being a tax burden essentially and then yeah. and then once that happened then they could go in snap up all the real estate and and redevelop it for for richer people so so that kind of shit is happening everywhere same thing that happened in uh, New Orleans after Katrina where they used the opportunity to bulldoze every public housing project and to close down every public school and turn them into charter schools and to you know do all these other things that they were saying oh well we just don't have the money to to do this anymore but now all of a sudden New Orleans uh, uh, has more money than ever um, and and fewer uh, black residents than ever. All so, of a sudden, like magic. Yeah, and so that's, I mean, I think what was surprising to me writing the book was just like how blatant it is, you know? Like, you know, if you read the New York Times or if you read um, your local paper or whatever, you're never going to see like what's actually really going on, but it's all written down. It's all there. This has been the plan for years and years is to is to push people out of, <laughs> out of the city and, mm-hmm. and bring in new people. Is, that is something I wanted banks? to ask you. As, oh, go ahead, T. But I'm going to say, you have notes in the back of the book that show where to find this stuff. So it's not like you're doing some kind of conspiratorial craziness. It's all right there, and you can double check it, even on websites. But what I found interesting, and I don't know if you guys have found similar when reading about gentrification, there's a lot of narratives out there that leave out this stuff. Like like this Bronx is burning type of books out there that talk that make it seem like, okay, everything was overrun with crime. And the most and the most they might say is social services were cut. That's about as much as they go into saying why things were bad. And then this kind of make it seem like this neoliberal fairy tale where, for example, here's, here's one, this is just one example, but um, the book Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell just makes it seem like New York was just kind of a cesspool. Rudy Giuliani and some other people come along and say, hey, this isn't broken windows. And then the bad guys get swept off the street. Capital comes back in the city. The city becomes safer. But like you said, the city becomes safer really just means the people that we were underserving, we just kicked them out. Now we don't have to do anything for them anymore. But that's not what this story says. This story makes it seem like a fairy tale, but the 
Cinderella fairy tale is uh, New York, and and the winning Prince Charming is just you know uh, corporations and money, and Times Square becoming a Disneyfied theme park is is the win. That's the end of the fairy tale, and same with these Richard Florida books. I remember, I remember uh, all, all this stuff about Richard Florida and stuff. And do you think like why do you think those narratives? prosper as opposed to what you describe, which is easily found stuff that really shows how longstanding and nefarious the plan is. Like, like, is it a matter of people being lazy or people into the, into the myths where they sincerely believe it? Or is it in your mind, conscious uh, deception? Like people want to spread this myth that they actually know is not true. Like if you had to, if you had to speculate, why would you think there are not more books like yours? I, I think it's all of the above. Like if you look at Richard Florida, who, in case you don't know, wrote, uh, in case your audience hadn't heard of him, um, wrote this book, The Rise of the Creative Class, uh, in the early 1990s. And that became a kind of manual for how cities should gentrify themselves, like tax breaks for tech companies and opening art galleries and hip restaurants to attract people and all that kind of stuff. From my perspective, Richard Florida is a successful scam artist. He gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars um, from cities every year to come and consult and say, you know, know, this is how you fix your city. You do, you know, you essentially follow this same rubric um, uh, of opening little galleries and giving tax breaks and yada, yada. And, co- and coffee shops and, and make sure that and, and, and he, he can get really technical sometimes because I read one of his reports, right? Uh, guys, so you understand, who, you understand who he is. He gives people like blueprints. He gives cities blueprints on how to turn your city into a gentrified, hipsterized city. Well, that you happened. Know? Uh, and yeah, how to. That was, and, and, yeah, happened I mean, in he, my he's city. A He's a scammer in the sense that like if you look into his data, like the he said, you know, he would say like the more creatives you have in your city, the better your city is. But he was including in that like hairdressers, baristas, i.e., you know, people who work at Starbucks, um, anything that wasn't like plumbers, basically, you know. Um, And so he was saying, look, if you have lots of these people, like then your city will be doing great. But then on the flip side, he wasn't supporting your local, uh, you know, black owned hairdressing business he was saying you need to bring in you know white hipster coffee shops and things like that so i think i think he's an academic fraud to be quite blunt but yeah all right so that was a preview if you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes then by all means go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks take care y'all